1: this week. I'm Caroline Hyde. This podcast is some of our favourite interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor along with Romaine Bostick and Joe Weisenthal. What'd you miss? It's the perfect way to kick off your weekend. This week, we continue to look into the unequal recovery and how companies have used the downturn to re-evaluate their own corporate policies to better respond to demands for greater diversity and for equality. Now, a number of companies such as Zillow and Nextdoor, where they've pledged to add their first black directors within the next year. But as some step up their commitments with bold initiatives, more than a dozen of the largest U.S. companies still lack any black director. And that's why the Board Diversity Action Alliance is aiming to encourage more companies to either appoint a first black director or add more. Now we spoke with one of the leaders of that alliance, it's Ursula Burns, previously CEO of Xerox, now senior advisor at Teneo, who is working alongside the Ford Foundation and the Executive Leadership Council on this new initiative. We started by asking her, "What well, of the companies without any black directors have been calling her for help to fix that.
2: So I'm, I'm- really trying, even though sometimes my nature is such, I'm trying to not shame anyone here. I think this is a we should approach this as a total opportunity moment. Mm. Total opportunity. There's enough wind at our back by all constituents. This is not only, uh, internal, not only internal employees. It's not just the media. It's not uh, just rating agencies or, or large investors for companies who miss one who don't have one, to add one. So I won't get into the specifics, but I am the, this, the BDAA, the Board Diversity Action Alliance, is here to help. Mm. And it, it, this is not overly bureaucratic. It's not really that complicated. We're trying to get every Fortune 500, Fortune 1,000, Fortune 1,500, every company. We're starting. We we like diversity across the board, but we're starting with African Americans here. Because the moment is na- the moment now is so ripe. We're starting with African Americans. We're here to help. First of all, we want to know, if you don't have one, can you tell us? <laughs> By the way, it's not as easy to find out as we thought. Can you tell us? And yeah. if you tell us, we'll help you. And That's th- where the ELC comes in. That's where the Ford Foundation comes in. That's where the Boulay comes in. That's where there are a lot of organizations spinning around that can help identify the one that you need.
1: And that's transparency that you're looking for, that measurement. You say, first of all, self-identify. Well, you're actually asking them to disclose the self-identified race and ethnicity of their directors. At the moment, I think only about 5% of companies do this. Are they willing to? Do you think that disclosure is going to come willingly?
2: conversation is starting and I think it will become, I think it will come at, at least for the Fortune 500 willingly. I, this is a, a, an interesting debate, right? To say that we want to know, we don't, we, didn't want, we don't want to make up any science here. Directors self-identify. We, we not only us, but rating agencies ask for it, um, pension funds ask for it, Vanguard asks for it. We just want to know what you guys call yourselves. How each company performs in each category. We're not, and, and the BDAA, the Board Diversity Action Alliance, is not about shaming. Tell us. We'll compile. We're going to, Taneo, which is, I'm a senior advisor in Taneo, they're going to have an entire benchmarking um, activity behind this that can help you, c- you company, to, to understand what other companies have done. So uh, where do you fit? Are you way out, an outlier? Um, if you're a tech company, how many do you re- do you have? Literally a whole bunch of benchmarking to help you understand where you sit. We'll have other organizations, the ELC, um, the Boulay, uh, who can help you. um, identify people who can fit into these criteria. So this is not about anything scientific or really that difficult, and it's definitely not about cornering companies. Mm. So it's not about... It's not about that at all.
3: Yeah, I understand that, Ursula. With regards to sort of how you, I guess, achieve the goals that you have, I mean, there are some companies we've seen, obviously, a lot of tech companies over years uh, have sort of put out statistics about their diversity, both in terms of their employee base, as well as at the management and then at the director level. We've also seen a lot of those reports that a lot of those companies didn't actually make progress in uh, boosting the proportional share of some of those underrepresented uh, people. I'm curious that once you go to these companies and you figure out uh, where they're lacking, how exactly do you then make sure they get the folks that they want or that they desire onto those boards and elsewhere?
2: And that, and that's where I, it's really important to understand that the Board Diversity Action Alliance started by, you know, Gabby Salzberger and myself, the Ford Foundation. I mean, we are just a couple of people. We don't have the oomph behind knowing who everyone is. But that's why we're getting the alliance piece together. Right. As many and it is literally organizations like the ELC. This is the organization that helps African American business leaders uh, learn and progress. We engage them. The Boulet, who helps African American business people and social people, particularly men and their spouses, actually we understand who they are and what their skill sets are. So we're trying to present as many resources to the companies as we possibly can with the skill sets. We are also trying to teach the companies that they're going to have to change, they're going to have to change the specification criteria that they use, particularly for African Americans. I have, after the George Floyd incident, I had at least 20 calls. And this was the, this was the request. Ursula, I, need, I don't have any black directors. I need a black director. Great, I'll give you some names. We can't... <laughs> um, I'll give you some names. No, but, you know, let me make sure I, I'm clear to you on what I need. I need a sitting or retired CEO or CFO. I said, you don't need me to find the black, the African-Americans sitting and retired CEOs and CFOs. Literally, you can count my hands and my feet, right? You have to figure out a way. We'll help you. This is what the, the Board Diversity Action Alliance will help you do. We'll help you morph your criteria of sitting CEO or CFO from that to a set of skills that are ready to serve, that are very, very skilled, that just haven't re- reached that CEO or CFO level, and we'll give you the names. You tell me what you want, we'll scour the resources that we have and help you understand who the candidates are and even help, after they get in, train them, get them up to speed, et cetera. Like I said, this is not a this is this should not be zero sum or even negative. Right. It's and if you don't want to if you don't want to join, I I say it over and over again. If you don't want to join, don't join. Right. It's this is about this is all good news. This is all upside. It, it
3: is all upside. I mean, uh, definitely from my perspective. I mean, I'm black. I love being black. It all sounds great to me. Let me put myself in, uh, you know, the, the position of being devil's advocate here. And yes. You have a white manager. You have an up and coming a white person in the executive ranks who looks at your organization, looks at some of these efforts, and they scratch their head and saying, "Why not me? What, 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 how do you sort of blunt the criticism?" Oh, I don't. I and you're going to get the criticism. Not,
2: I do not respond to "why not me" for the white manager. That's not... Let me tell you why. If we had to justify our existence based on the feelings of a whole bunch of people who have been in power and in control, we'd make no progress. I say that they should get together and figure out how they deal with why not me. I'm just trying to figure out how I deal and we deal with the reality of why not me as a gender for women and a race for blacks. And and to turn it back on us is not... I say go to therapy. I, I, I don't know why not. You figure it out. But you're in power. The, the game hasn't been defined by you. The judges are you. The playing field has been laid out by you. The rules have been laid out by you. I, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't help with the why. Maybe I could, but I first want to deal with the why not, literally, the the half the population who's female. of the population who's African-American who has zero representation. Mm. The rest, it it, it can't be my job.
1: It is your job at the moment with the Board Diversity Action Alliance to bring that positivity, to bring that opportunity, to help network and help those that want help to meet the right person. I'm interested that you also have seen on the same sort of day the board challenge be announced as well. 43 companies signing up, committing also to increasing diversity on the board. Is this a tipping point?
2: I think that we are at a point where we can mess this up as a as a group of companies in the U.S. and as a as a country, as the U.S., I don't think it's likely. I think the the board challenge by the way go board challenge i mean really we talked to them we, this is definitely collaborative go board challenge go for it we will support you we will do as much cross cultivation and engagement i want this the board challenge wants this to literally be you need a black director and then as as it grows and we get more confident you need a, a latina latino director you need a whatever non white <laughs> male director we have a source for you to come to. You will find somebody that meets the needs, because this is not about the board challenge over here, the board diversity action lines over here, not at all. This is totally collaborative. We're going to get together, we work together. We, we, the same companies are in, many of the companies are in both, right? So it doesn't, it's not, a, it's not hurtful. Um, I think this is a time where we can look forward. We can look forward and and very likely make progress very likely make progress if we do not fall victim to all of the things that that take away from progress bickering um shaming i don't want any of that stuff and if a company does not want to join either the board alliance or the the board action committee or the board diversity committee the two committees, if they don't want to join fine i'm willing I, i'm not going to you know yeah. i guess somebody's going to report them they can do their own thing i'm not going to spend a lot of time on the naysayers. I'm going to spend all of my time on the people who say, I want one. Can you help me find
3: one? Yeah. So, Ursula, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, after uh, the George Floyd uh, death and all of the protests surrounding that, you got a lot of calls from folks asking you for help, asking you for guidance. I'm curious, though, the, the general idea or the general fear amongst a lot of people here is that a lot of companies, they're you know, they're very woke right now. But of course, you know, once the dust settles, uh, they may just sort of move on to, you know, whatever other interests they have. How much of some of the change that you've seen or the change that's sort of being sort of reached for here by some of those companies, how much of that do you see as actually lasting?
2: Yeah, I think that this is one of the reasons why I decided to engage in this thing. I mean, I have a lot of things to do. I'm very busy, obviously, in doing an alliance. I mean, really? One of the reasons why I in conversations with Gabby and conversations with Darren at the Ford Foundation, in conversations with my partners and um, people at Teneo, we actually th- thought it was, and the ELC was, was a little different, was it was a little different. This wasn't, I just want to check a box and get through this. It, it, and it didn't even start that way. It was more, something is happening. Uh, the, the most heartfelt conversation, something is happening, and I think I may be missing some of it. Can you help me understand more? It was really not about, um, you know, I need some help with, for cover. I need some help, get me a person so I can at least check this box. It was more, something's happening in America. And at this point, it was around the world. As you know, I live in the UK yeah. and we had marches here and people were calling not to say, can you just get me a name so we can just get this off, get this off my back? I had over 20 people call, business leaders. And I would say, of them were not about, can you just give me a name? It was, something's happening. Here's what I think it is. Can you help me understand if what I'm thinking is right? That led me to believe, one, that they were open, receptive to understanding, to questioning their norms and their beliefs. Big deal. And that if they found that there was a gap, that I had to be prepared or helpful in helping them to close that gap. And that's where the alliance came in. Because we you know, what you end up doing is I'm one person. So I end up throwing out names, this name, that name, calling this person. And I realized I can't do this. I have other things to do. So yeah. and by the way, I'm not necessarily skilled here. So we had to pull it all together. And to in short, I think that this may be a time where I think that this is not more than I think this is a time where companies are saying we can use this very bad set of circumstances and incidences to inject into our culture into our organizations to inject fundamental change yeah. and and by the way some of them will fail some of them don't mean it some of them are disingenuous I, but imagine if i have 20 and eight of them actually believe it we're eight ahead right and then the next time around we'll get the other 12. so and even by the way if i got one i'm i'm i am very very helpful and um, hopeful and thankful that we'll get more than one yeah, and so I, I, I think it's all upside here. The worst that can happen is we waste our time. That's all. That's that's the downside. We waste our time.
1: And I doubt that will be the case, Ursula. You said that this conversation, this became real for you because it started with a heartfelt conversation. You've sparked heartfelt conversations many a time. I've been privileged enough to listen to them. When you've spoken about how you moved to London, in large part, because of what you were seeing here in the United States, I want to ask you again, how do you feel about the U.S. right now? Do you feel this optimism that corporate culture, in a way, can rise above the political noise that we hear at the moment?
2: Two-part question, you asked. How do I feel about the U.S.? And I'm an American, and I live in London. I've lived in London since... (laughs) Almost immediately after the last election, my husband and I decided to move. And it's not a simple decision. Right? We, are, we were, My husband's a but we're both Americans. We have two American children. We have a whole American family. But we something happened at the last election that demoralized us. And the great news about being here is that you can kind of avoid some of the discussions. The bad news is that you avoid the discussions. Because no matter what happens, I'm an American. And I will... Come back home and call that country America my home. so what I feel now it took it, it's at it, such a bad state right now the feeling by a large percentage of the population that there is no hope for them without fundamental change, without things fundamentally changing. This is a signal that that societies, police forces, governments, corporations should not miss. We would be so dumb if we, if we miss this. If we miss this, we throw away, one, a huge opportunity to do good, to improve. And other, the other thing that happens is we put at risk, literally, the just what I call civil society. You know, we see it a little bit. I, I, we, another police killing in Rochester, New York. That happened before George Floyd. A disaster up there. And literally, you see a community in upstate New York, that my old hometown, that's literally shaking, asking for help to try to figure out a way to live peacefully. And we need government structures, corporation structures, uh, civil society li- leaders. We need church, we need help, the citizens need help to look to find the North Star so that they can figure out a way to move. And right now the federal structure is not helping us. The federal structure is not helping.
3: The federal structure.
2: Corporations have to help. Churches have to help. The federal structure is not helping.
3: Yeah, there are definitely some deficiencies in that federal structure. And of course, a lot of us are looking uh, to community groups, churches. We're also looking to corporations, I guess, to some certain extent. Is that, does that, though, become a little bit misplaced? If you don't have a government effort in place, one that is supported by the politicians, whether at the federal level or even at maybe the state level, uh, can you then achieve what you're setting out to achieve, Ursula?
2: I, I mean, I you, think when
3: you go ahead.
2: No, I, 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 but I ask myself this question a lot. <laughs> you know, and I, and I debate it in a lot of the organizations that I'm engaged with on inclusive capitalism and you name it. You know, isn't this something that the government should do? Isn't it, isn't some of the, you know, aren't we not only corporations but uh, civil society structures around? you know in in the in the world isn't this like a little bit more the responsibility of government i tell you what the, i call the victims the victims who are just the citizens we can keep debating whose responsibility it is and if no one takes charge little if no one takes charge the debate will keep happening while the foundation of the building is crum- crumbling i am no longer willing and fortunately a lot of corporations are no longer willing to wait for sanity to come in place right. and take over. I'm curious, so
3: Ursula, I mean, you're, you're very outspoken on this issue. If you were still the CEO of Xerox at this moment, or the CEO of a major corporation at this moment, uh, would you be speaking in the way that you're speaking right now? Would you feel Absolutely. comfortable? You would.
2: Without, without question. Okay. Without question. By the way, it's interesting that you ask this question, because particularly right now, it would be, I would be even more aggressive. At the end of the day, my, my husband, who passed away a year and a half ago, would say to me, The worst thing you ha- that you have to do, Ursula, is find another job. Right? And I, we are at a point where I, I, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. My children, two unbelievably well educated, quote unquote, quote perfect kids, my two nieces, same. Category. We have a Zoom call every weekend, Sunday nights, and if and if you could listen to these children, you would understand. We cannot wait much longer. Mm. We have them just by the thread of hope. They they are holding on, saying, "I I know what's right. I know what's right looks like, and we are participating as much as we can." And I ho- this is them saying, "I hope like hell yeah. that everybody else is going to pull like." Pull like we're pulling. We can get into this, the, you know, the X is supposed to do this, and the Y is supposed to do this, and we'll watch Rome burn. Literally watch Rome burn while we debate whose responsibility it is. I don't want to go too far. I'm, I'm very defensive of corporations' responsibilities. Yeah. Very defensive, because I ran one. I said, we, we don't take, we don't run policing. We don't run social welfare programs. But yeah. I, I say we got to push further than we have been pushing so far and literally make sure somebody is running them, make sure that we actually coalesce around, somebody has to have the responsibility for me to be an effective corporation. So it's not about taking over responsibilities, but when you see nobody doing it, you have to push as far
1: as you can. Asliya, I know that I've started by shaming in some part, and I wanted to shame because I'm angry. I'm angry on behalf of you, I'm angry on behalf of Romaine, I'm angry on behalf of my mixed race children. In general, I think we sometimes do need to shame, but I also want to hold up because there are these seven companies that you have as part of your current alliance. Dow, Macy's, MasterCard, PNC, Uber, UPS, and WW. They already have one black director are we going to see therefore we hope to see more people join your alliance and more people bring more black executives onto businesses we want to so, thank so
2: first is absolutely more will join the alliance they're already lined up will the next round will be next week they'll be uh, not seven 20 30 so don't worry about that the joining the alliance is not a problem the the getting the black directors the the easiest ones are the people who have them already but it's the, the black directors is just one thing. We're talking about reporting and we're talking about aggressive um, expansion. So everybody looks at the black directors and say, black directors said, oh, the people who signed yeah. up signed up for more than just one black director. They are going to start to lead the activity of helping to define how we report, what we report, being aggressive about that and being very transparent. So the I think that you'll find with the the board challenge with yeah. the board diversity, you'll find that there's gonna be a, a push with Taneo helping with some of the background work and making sure that they do benchmarking. I, 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 I'll go.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the other major stories of this week was the
1: drastic turn for tech stocks going from a rally to a rout. By Friday, the Nasdaq 100 finished the day down six of the last seven trading days for its worst week since March. Investors left whipsawed over the past few sessions and many debating what really lies ahead for investing in tech for the rest of 2020. But the real debate, perhaps, is how this year will alter the long-term trajectory of these businesses. Will some go the way of Slack, who suffered in trading this week due to its dependence on small and mid-sized businesses hurt by the pandemic? Or will some go the way of Zoom, who well has well Zoomed during all the lockdowns and has continued to impress? The trajectory of tech could well be the trajectory of how stocks finish 2020. To get more perspective on tech's recent performance, we spoke with Lee Drogan, the founder and CEO of Estimize, an open financial estimates platform designed to collect forward-looking financial estimates from a more diverse set of sources, including independent, buy-side and sell-side analysts, along with those of private investors and academics. We started by asking Lee, well, if tech valuations were really that overvalued, or if the fundamentals somehow justified them?
4: They're fantastic, and here's the you know the the bottom line is that we continue to suffer from some significant cognitive dissidents regarding just how big the addressable markets for these companies are. And you know we've had some conversations on Twitter about you know what happens when they get bought up, or uh, you know can't they be replaced? Are there you know are there uh, you know earnings power? Their their margins you know safe. And the thing is, none of it matters if the addressable markets are just so much bigger than investors are betting on right now. And if you continue to grow at 50, 60% revenue year over year, good luck shorting that stock, right? Like the multiples can go to the moon, but like who's going to get in front of that? You're going to get days, maybe a few weeks of rotation and Profit-taking in these names every couple of quarters, that's natural, we've seen it before, but over a medium to longer term time horizon, I just can't see how you can get off of this train right now.
1: And of course, the <laughs> trade is dictated by the buy side, and that's where Estimize is slightly different. You bring together the estimates of buy side rather than sell side. And I'm interested, what, what are the people that you're speaking to thinking when we do get these bouts of volatility, these sell-offs? Are they long-term committed, or are they they like the trading atmosphere?
4: Well, when we look at the data for these growth names, and you know, th- this is why our platform has been. Uh, So good, you know, at, at these specific names is because the investors on the buy side are looking at rational, reasonable growth rates, you know, in the two, three, four quarters out, you know, relative to the sell side where they may just be straight lining the growth. And if a company guides up, okay, they catch up to it. Right. What we're seeing in the data right now that continues to lead me to believe this party isn't over, you know, in these names is that we're continuing to see the upward revisions still to two, three, four quarters out for those high-flying names. And again, you know, some of these names have gone from growth rates of 30, 40% to 60, 70, 80%. Zoom went to 300 something percent. And you know, it's not gonna be a one-time thing because of the pandemic. It basically took a trend that was already taking place and it lit it on fire and it threw gasoline on it And it pulls the addressable market adoption forward. um, And we just don't see that stopping here for at least another year. And then let's look at the comps a year from now, and then it might get more difficult.
3: Yeah, I mean, the fundamental changes going on here are are pretty remarkable, Lee. I am curious, though, when do we get to the point where we kind of stop talking about tech as sort of this broader thing and maybe start to dice it up into, I guess, things that are maybe a little bit more able to understand because I guess I think some of the valuation debate gets into this this mucky issue because you look at tech as sort of this broad basket when there's certain segments of it that do kind of deserve the valuations they have.
4: Yeah, I think you have to bifurcate this thing into names with really strong underlying fundamentals and and you talked about the multiples relative to the actual tech bubble in the 90s where the look the price to sales multiples for the big tech companies really aren't that crazy some of the software names are definitely getting a little nose bleedy but certainly not what they were you know during the tech bubble and then you get things like tesla and nikola and like these are just mania stocks right and they are obviously riding on the back of you know a right. ton of liquidity in the market and and a really strong fundamental you know group of of tech stocks but there are definitely a set of names where if you want to play long short you're a long short pm in tech Man, this is a great time for that because um, there, there's a lot of dispersion in, in the quality of uh, of those multiples. Well,
5: I was just gonna. So how do you? I was just gonna ask you about that because some of them have like really bombed. Like we were talking on Twitter, Pager Duty totally bombed over the last five days. How do you play it then? And how do you think about it? Or uh, Slack? I mean, Slack is a company that tons of people are into. Journalists really like it. Um, the stock bombed uh, yesterday, even though the earnings were, I guess, OK. So there are uh, landmines in the sector, not to mention, of course, uh, the EV trade, which is sort of adjacent to all this, which, you know, as Tesla just showed, uh, is also quite risky.
4: Yeah, look, uh, this is where the actual kind of idiosyncratic bets that are made by hedge funds and, and asset management firms, this is where the analysts and the PMs are going to make their money. And then there's plenty of it to be made right now. In my opinion, um, you know, in order to actually try and, and, and dice this up into what you want to be exposed to and what you don't on a longer-term basis, I think you pick the major trends um, and then you just pick the strongest name because that's, there, there's a, a wave of liquidity moving into this space by funds that didn't have enough exposure because it was too expensive, and now they just have to get on it. Um, so you don't want to be in that fourth, fifth, sixth name down the bucket. And yeah, look, hmm. Microsoft has a big Teams business, and Slack is going to take the brunt of uh, you know any kind of understanding from people regarding you know competitive and, and margin pressures. Um, and I think there's it's the same thing across the board. Would I want to be in Pager or would I want to be in Twilio? I would want to be in the best of breed in all these. And don't screw around with the higher multiple names that are down the stack. Um, Just stay with the best in breed.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
1: And while the stock market debates the lofty valuations of tech companies, Millions of Americans are still staying at home, eating out less, shopping less, working less than before Covid-19 hit. The economic fallout is showing up in various data points and putting pressure on lawmakers to get a new stimulus deal done. But so far, no agreement has come from DC. And this is not just a US story. Europe is still feeling the pain and now is the new hotspot for coronavirus cases, surpassing the United States six months into this pandemic and the recovery it still feels far off. And we spoke to the prospect of a recovery with Exante data founder and CEO Jens Norvig. We started by asking him if there is a clear correlation in the data between the spread of the coronavirus and the global economic recovery.
6: Yeah, I think you're very right that initially when we had the first wave, uh, we had a huge spike in cases, we had a huge spike in deaths. And that was followed by lockdown and just dramatic economic impact. In uh, the second wave, or uh, as we maybe even look into third wave in some countries, uh, that relationship is getting much more complex. And, and the reason really is that the relationship between the cases hmm. and then the policy response has changed, right? We have learned that maybe a dramatic full-blown lockdown is not needed, right? So even though we have case spikes uh, we just went through the, the alternative data that we track for the Eurozone today. You cannot actually almost see any impact of hmm. the case spikes in Europe in, in all the real time uh, data that we track. So that's a huge difference compared to the first wave.
1: And in terms of therefore policy in action and the decision Trump just saying it in his latest press conference that we will not see a US economic shutdown like we did previously. Whereas in the UK, we're starting to see some increases in social distancing. Well, in terms of ensuring we're not seeing such bigger group gatherings in Paris, there's mandatory face masks. But there's a hodgepodge of of decision making in Europe and indeed in the US. How hard is that therefore when you don't have a focused response to ensuring that we get the other side of this virus?
6: Yeah, I think, I think one of the things we have learned is that there's uh, a couple of things you can do that has a huge impact on the transmission of the virus that is not locked down. So if you avoid super spreading events, that's really important. Uh, if you wear uh, a mask, that can be very important. That doesn't really hurt activity in the economy that much. So I think what we're seeing now is that those initiatives are being put in place. Uh, and that's why the alternative data is not showing a big sort of turn in the Eurozone. I think the question is uh, what is happening with fatalities. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's a sort of a different attitude towards the virus now where uh, people are um, relaxed is maybe not uh, the word, but they're not changing behavior as dramatically as they were in March and April. So the question is if the fatalities start to increase, will that change so we actually have a more forceful response? So in terms of our forecast, we're very focused on forecasting our are the fatalities in Europe going to stay around 200, or are they going to go back to a much higher level like we've seen in the U.S. with a 1,000 fatalities per day up until a couple of weeks ago?
3: And is, are those, is that data, though, are, do you think that the, uh, the politicians themselves and the, uh, the bureaucrats and the folks in charge, are they more now focused on the fatality data or new infection rates? What are they looking at most?
6: Yeah, I, th- I think you definitely want to look at the data picture in a holistic way. If you only look at the cases... Uh, and think that's the sort of true picture over time, you're going to totally know that testing is is different and the demographics of the outbreak is different. We've seen many uh, jurisdictions report that the median age of the cases is going down dramatically, and that's part of the reason why the fatality ratio is down. Um, So I think uh, policymakers are going to be looking at a, a much broader set of indicators, and I think also policy, uh, makers know that the lockdowns that are implemented in, in the first wave, they are simply not sustainable. Like the economic damage from, from that lockdown was so severe that any second round lockdown, even if we get to that point, will have to be different in nature.
5: Jens, uh, let's talk about the U.S. context, because I find some of the data to be confusing. If you look at the unemployment rate, it's actually fallen quite a bit faster than sort of anyone had forecast uh, a few months ago. On the other hand, you could look at claims numbers, as I just did, and it's a stall, or it looks like it is, as having flatlined the last five weeks. And at various points in this crisis, people have like, oh, the recovery is stalling. The recovery is stalling. But it's not clear. Is the, uh, even if we're not retrenching hard, like we did earlier in the year, in March and April, are we running into some sort of ceiling or stall, risk of stall speed growth just because the levels of the virus are still uh, relatively high?
6: I think it's almost like you have a recovery that took place since, let's call it, that had sort of two engines to it. The one engine was simply that you had reopening. Activity was allowed to take place in more and more places. Uh, But the second engine was the fiscal stimulus. So uh, I think in, in relation to the reopening, I think in the U.S., I think we can have a reasonable degree of confidence that looking a month or two out, probably the reopening will continue to progress. We had the restaurant opening announcement in in New York was sort of a symbolic thing. Uh, But the big question mark is around the second engine around fiscal stimulus. That looks a lot more uncertain. And I think the question is, uh, can this recovery, the pace of which is already in question, sustained with just the one engine, the reopening, and not really the fiscal juice. That, I think, is the problem.
1: And that's a question that's being debated in Europe as well. We've seen Germany extend their fiscal support, particularly for the unemployed, out through to 2021. But then you see the UK and the Chancellor there really having to push back on extending their support and their ongoing furloughing of and support of, of the employee base past October. And what, what do you see for? Example for the UK at the moment and they're taking the right path. I mean particularly they seem to be making their own hole for themselves with brexit, too
6: Well, I guess it's a, it's a question of whether we move into a domain where people don't care about Levels of deficits at all right, so we, we've already seen a, a seismic shift this year where uh, people are willing to embrace deficits of, of a, a level that was really uh, viewed as unthinkable before right, so uh, the UK is a place where they have very large fiscal deficits, but nevertheless uh, they're not willing to just uh, go to any level of deficit, and therefore there's talk of tax hikes and so forth. And that's certainly feeding into uh, uh, the economy and, and perceptions about where the economy heading. And it's feeding into interest rates as well. There's now uh, pricing of negative interest rates in the U.K. that is a function of what's going on on the fiscal side.
5: Uh, brought Long term on the fiscal question... You know, you mentioned that there's been this view deficits are now more uh, tolerated than they have in the past. Do you think this is going to be a permanent feature of the post-crisis landscape or is it okay? maybe we'll get one more big stimulus, uh, but nothing will, you know, the end we will just go back to macro management, kind of like what we used to see?
6: I think uh, fundamentally speaking, we're in in a world where interest rates are are pretty much zero in all major economy, with with China being the one exception, right? So the fact that monetary policy is pretty much out of juice uh, means that we have to do uh, fiscal policy to get any stimulus in the pipeline. So that's a shift that is not going to go away. Uh, Then there's another question about, okay, is the politics going to allow it? But that's sort of almost like a tactical consideration on top of the fact that fiscal is needed to generate stimulus. That's the only game in town at this point in time.
1: That's it for this episode of What You Missed This Week. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tune in every weekday to our Daily Market Close show from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg Television and from 4 to 5 p.m. streaming on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move.